This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Gold. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele. Our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. up everybody welcome to prospects 101 brought to you by our partners at blue wire pods and bet online this is the show where we discuss and analyze football prospects on all levels beyond the industry standard high school college and the nfl draft you name it we cover it you can follow and interact with us on all social media accounts at prospects 101 pod i'm kenny keller and i'm joined by kickball legend brandon glessner hey what's up guys you're actually one tonight it may wow. have been the upset of all upsets tonight, one uh, <laughs> six to four. Kind of crazy, dude. You know, shout out to my kickball team, Anheuser-Busch KC Kickball Club. Uh, yeah, wow. we, we put it out there. We actually went, actually won one tonight after last week. I didn't think we'd win a game, but it's a fun beer, kind of a beer league kickball team. But, guys, I got to tell you, we had a guy on our team strike out looking at <laughs> Do do we do we know this person, Gless? Uh, I, I'm not gonna throw his business out there, but you definitely know his wife. Let me put, okay. put it to you that okay. way. I, Pastel, you may know him. And he went to Mass Pond. Well, you know, it's funny when you say like he struck out looking. That reminds me of the gender reveal when the guy like uh, the the woman threw like the balloon for the guy to hit. But it was like an inside pitch, so he didn't swing, and the thing just dropped on the ground and exploded. And he's like, "What?" <laughs> it was that's a great. Dude, that's great. But, plate discipline. But, but but what? No, what's hilarious about it? So in in kickball, like if you foul one off, like it's strike two essentially, and if you foul two off, it's a it's an out. So he he fouled the first one off, and then the other one, like the ball went out, and then last minute got in between the lines, and he looked at everybody. He was like, "Are you kidding me? I struck out looking." <laughs> oh, 
But it's all right. Wow. We end up winning. Uh, aside from my big error in the last inning, it, it all ended up working out. So <laughs> Hey, hey, Gless, you know what? If you guys win the next game, you know what you need to do? You need to look around like Lou Brown and be like, we won two games. We win one more. That's called a winning called streak. A winning streak. Anyways, shout out to my guy, uh, guys and gals, Anheuser-Busch, KC, River City Sports and Social Club, one and one. Nice. I love it. And I'm also joined by my other co-host, the Carmelo Anthony of Helpside Defense, and that's Brandon Pastel. <laughs> so Kenny's just upset that, you know, Glusser decided to go James Harden on him and just start draining threes left and right. And then right when you thought he was going to bust a J in your face, he decided to take it and do left-handed layups on you. So, yeah, I probably no, could have called pick a few more times, but, uh, I mean, no, dude, my, no matter what we my did, my my ribs are mad at you because they're sore today because every time I took a step, I was getting picked by Riley Bradshaw. And like I said, you know, I'm fine with getting picked. I could just at least know, like, hey, he's creeping up. He's creeping up, you know. Or saying, hey, you're ISO, you're ISO, you're all alone. Just a little, you know, for, a nice for anyone courtesy. Else, for everyone listening to this podcast right now, it's called mind basketball you, fundamentals. Is, this is a very, very small court, like a 10 by 10 court. Like, if you take a step right, you're hitting somebody. This isn't like a huge open court, like. Every time he moved, he, he nudged Kenny. So it's not like I had more than three or more than a second to say, hey, pick. I didn't have a problem with it. Dude, I was – I don't care what you say. I was NBA jam on fire the last three games. Yeah, Gus, I was throwing up Gus everything. couldn't miss. That was ridiculous. <laughs> well, he wasn't yeah, good you at were, you were You were on fire. <laughs> yes, by the way, stunner of all stunners. I can't believe uh, Laura ended up winning horse. Like that was – Brady kept trying to get Riley out the but I was like, dude, you better focus on Laura, not Riley. But it doesn't matter when it's come to horse. It's like whoever I focus on, like I have no control over that unless you're behind me. So Riley or Laura, who Laura, if anyone listening to this, is our old co-host, Riley Bradshaw's uh, wife, Laura Bradshaw. She beat all six of us, I think, in horse, mm-hmm. and it was like no joke. She was going Seth Curry on everybody and just draining threes left and right. It was hilarious because she's like everybody was doing all these like layups and inside stuff, and then she's like, I'd rather just shoot it deep and then just start draining threes, and everybody's like, what? So as we uh, as everybody's tuning in, you know, we've been doing our conference previews the last couple weeks. For anybody who hasn't been tuning in, go back and listen to our previous episodes. Uh, We've done it now for the last three weeks. We've been going through previews, and this is all leading up to week zero. Well, it was intended to lead up to week zero. Obviously, there's no more week zero anymore. But this week we're on the Pac-12, and on Monday we dropped the Pac-12 preview, and today we are releasing – Pac-12 prospects covering the top prospects all across the Pac-12 on offense and defense. And let's get right into it, guys, with the opening coin flip. Who is the best draft-eligible defensive prospect in the Pac-12? Pastel, why don't you start it off? Okay, and this is someone that I didn't really know too much about until I started to watch more Pac-12 football, and that's uh, Hamilcar uh, Rashid Jr. and he's a outside linebacker, edge rusher type of player for Oregon State. He's six foot four, two hundred and forty, and and that's last year's weight. I was listening to some interviews that he was doing this summer, and his goal was to get up to about two hundred and fifty pounds, which is scary for a guy with the speed of a Hamilcar, right? I mean, this guy has great speed. He's got relentless speed, which <laughs> what I mean by that is a great motor, and he kind of just drives through anybody that comes in his way. He's extremely stout against the run, which is kind of awesome to see if somebody with a 238-pound frame and what he can do at the, the size of possibly 245, 250 is what his goal is, trying to get through 
uh, the offseason and try and progress to that weight. Now, obviously, his production is there. If you haven't heard about this guy, he pretty much was the most statistical. I mean, this guy was a phenom from the outside linebacker position. He had 62 tackles, 42 of those were solo. He had 14 sacks, and that was only behind, like, Chase Young and Gregory Rousseau last year. And then he had two forced fumbles, and he had a total of 22.5 tackles for losses. So from a statistical standpoint, from a production standpoint, he was one of the best. I mean, he was, like, the best player in the Pac-12. From, the, like, the country standpoint, he was right behind the guys that, you know, got drafted number two overall to – the Redskins and the guy that's going to be a top-five pick as well next year, and Rousseau. I mean, this guy in, in high school, talking about going to his high school days, he was a top-ten player in the state of Arizona, recording over 100 tackles. He had 13 sacks, so the production is always there. So he's one of those guys that I really think he's the best player in the Pac-12 from a production standpoint on a very, very, very bad team, and I think that's going to translate into the NFL. And the great thing about him is, like, there's a lot of people said he could have gone out, came out this past year and been, like, a day-two pick, but he pretty much said, like, no, nah, I'm not going to be a day-two pick. I promised myself I would be a first-round selection. And until I get that grade from the scouts, I'm going to keep coming back. Well, I'm going to come back for my senior year and earn that grade. So he's going to put on those 10 pounds, and he's going to get to what the scouts saying he needed to work on in the offseason, and he's going to work on it. And mm-hmm. if, he, if he replicates that production, he mm-hmm. absolutely is the best uh, Pac-12 defensive prospect coming into next year. You know, before we switch over to Gless, I know you don't mean your words to hurt, Brandon. I know that wasn't intentional, but I am hurt because I totally featured Hamill Carr on our prospects to watch in our Conference USA breakdown. And the fact that you said you didn't even recognize him until you started watching tape on Pac-12, it hurts me. It cuts well, me deep, I got to say. So what I'm saying, Ken, is when you mention him is when I started watching tape. Like, I'll give you props just, on that. Like, I'm just you, giving you a hard time. No, no, I'm saying, like, I mean, I know you were, but I'm saying, like, what you when you really broke him down that one day, I went back and kind of. Yeah, I guess I was trying to call you bluff or call call you out on it. Then I saw what you were talking about. I was like, this guy's a real deal. The monster, man. Yeah. So, Gless, you know, Hamilcar is obviously production-wise one of the top returning players. Who is your top defensive prospect in the? I'm going to go with another. I'm going to go with another guy that was extremely productive last year, and in in my opinion, will be one of the best value picks in the 2021 NFL Draft. That's got to be Elijah Molden out of Washington, guys. Incredibly versatile. Uh, Pro Football Focus actually rated him as the highest-graded slot corner in the nation in 20. 20- uh, in 2019, the fourth most valuable corner in college football as well. So, you know, we hold pro football focus pretty high uh, as far as when it comes to advanced, advanced analytics and stats. So I think that speaks, you know, really high to at least production. But, I mean, his stats as a slot corner, he had 79 tackles, five and a half for loss. I think a lot of people forget about that. 17 passes defended and then four picks. But guys, really what makes him special is he's probably the most versatile secondary player in the Pac-12. Uh, I would argue he was the best secondary player in the conference last last year and definitely in the most valuable. And, you know, we talk about the NFL and, you know, you got to be able to roll out five secondary players essentially on every play since it's a 65-35 split now. Look, I'm going to roll with a you know, potentially first-team All-American corner out there as being the number one uh, defensive uh, uh, defensive prospect in the Pac-12. I could have gone edge rusher here. I think Rasheed Jr. is a solid one, but I'm going to hang my hat on a secondary player because he can fit in the NFL in any scheme, and he can play in there, and he'll be dominant for years to come, especially in the long line of secondary players that the University of Washington has sent to the NFL. Yeah, so, I mean, I agree with you, Gluster, in the sense of, like, Elijah Molden, he is a phenomenal 
phenomenal college football player. A lot of people say Tyron Matthew S. But why do they say that? Because he's what five foot nine. He's like a buck seventy five, buck eighty. Like he's a smaller guy. And yeah, while he's phenomenal on the college landscape, talk about prospects that get drafted at five nine. Like I don't see too many of those guys at the cornerbacks at the slot position really. Uh, slot cornerback position, getting drafted in the first round in the NFL. And here's a fun little stat about Elijah is, you know, you had, uh, you had Bryant, you had Miles Bryant, you had Keith Taylor, and you had Elijah Morton last year. All these guys had just about 890 snaps, you know, 900 snaps overall. They all had about 460, 470, 477 uh, cover snaps. Do you know how many times Molden got targeted? 84. Bryant got targeted uh, 29, and Taylor was 60. He was about 20% of, like, all the, the targets came to Molden. Why do you think teams were targeting so much? I mean, yes, he had all those stats to go around to go with it, but when you're targeted so many more uh, plays than the rest of your teammates, of course you're going to have 12 pass breakups. Well, of course you're going to have a few more interceptions because everyone's throwing at you because you're 5'9". Like, well, everybody was throwing at him, but he was the, high, he was the, the highest grade slot corner because he defended them all. And, I mean, right. they, they, and, and they learned not to throw at him. And they and, said, hey, we're, we're going to challenge this guy. And he ended up balling out last year. By far the most versatile guy and the most important secondary player in the Pac-12. They had 555 yards passed against them. No one was even close on that team with that many yards against them. And, again, I think he's a good player. I think he's a very, very good college football player. But we're talking first-round players. Like, Hamilcar could be a first-round player. I don't see Elijah Molding or someone picking a five foot five, five foot nine. Uh, corner slot corner that gets targeted more than anyone else on his team on a productive defense where you look at Hamilcar where there's nobody else on that team like they should be yeah I don't buy that I don't buy that argument for the fact that if you look at all the corners and the secondary players that are ever taken in the NFL draft in the first round they're all on phenomenal teams so that argument you throw out the window because you have Ohio State corners you have Alabama corners all being taken on day one so, I, to me, the whole, well, he's on a really good defense, that argument doesn't hold. Well, no, no, so that's All those another, guys always get taken. Uh, yeah, what I'm saying is he's on a really good team where, like, they should be kind of spreading out the targets and, on the cover snaps, and everybody was going towards one person, overwhelmingly towards one person. Dude, like he was the highest snaps. graded – dude, he was the highest graded cor- slot corner in 2019. Did anyone watch that Stanford football. game last year? Did anyone watch that Stanford game? Did he you watch the four, Oregon game? Had, Did you watch had, the Oregon he had game? four, four play, uh, plays where someone completed 15 yards or more on him. And that's because Stanford has bigger receivers because he can't cover those guys. That's right. And it, we're also talking about the NFL draft where now everybody's six foot. Nobody's six foot four anymore that anybody picks. That plays that that starts in the NFL. So I don't buy that argument. If you watch him against Oregon, if you watch him against USC, the dude was all over the field. He's an incredible secondary player. I don't care. Yes, man. The opening, the opening coin flip is on is in fuego right now. I'm loving the heat. I'm loving the heat you boys are bringing. If it makes you both feel any better or any worse. I got to say, I would disagree with both of you, and I think Jevin Holland is probably the best uh, defensive pack prospect. Get out of here. I disagree with that. He's a beast. But my, my, my job here is to pick a winner out of both of you. And I got to say, I thought I was actually going to go with Pastel and Hamilcar because that's my boy. And, and I thought, you know, at first I was going to go with it, but I think Gless makes good points about Elijah Molden. We do hold pro football focus, and I think teams who are analytically challenged probably challenged Elijah Molden 
and paid the price for it a lot of times. I think that's I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. They probably viewed him as the smaller guy and tried to pick on him. The thing about Hamilcar is I think he's just limited. I think he's going to end up being limited athletically. I don't think he's going to break into that day one. I don't. I think he could have a, a, the same season he's going to have last year and still go to day two, where I think Molden has the opportunity to play himself into a day one pick because corners are a premium, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't see Hamilcar being a three-down guy at the next level. I don't. So, winner of the opening coin flip, I'm actually going to go Brandon Glessner. Boom. Let's go. That's a great start. I like this. Let's go. Yeah, I'm glad we introduced this, this opening coin flip. <laughs> this, this is this a good is... – hey, hey. at the end of the day, though, this is a good new segment. If for anybody who's listening, we debuted the opening coin flip last week. Uh, sorry, the opening coin – yeah, opening coin flip last week. And um, we had a lot of fun doing it, and obviously it helps – it helps encourage debate. It helps get the juices flowing, and I, I love it. It's a great – got to give Pastel a tip of the cap because it was his idea, so it was a very good thing. But oh, and we're putting, this on, we're putting this on all our social media accounts. We're going to have a poll out there for all, everyone else that's credentialed to, you know, vote, vote for the actual winner here. I think that might be because Pastel, it's his, it's his segment, and he's lost both so far to start this show. Yeah, that's not a surprise with you judging. Oh, I told you, man. I was, I was when we started. I was leaning towards Hamilcar because I like him a lot, and I liked where you went there. But I think Les made better points. He made one really good point, and that was Pro Football Focus that he was the fourth best corner. Pro Football Focus also said Hamilcar was in the top 80th percentile in all college football last year on defense. So, yeah, I mean, if I just want to pull just, Pro Football Football uh, Focus stats, I'm not even. I'm not even talking about PFF though. I do think Hamilcar isn't a three-down guy at the next level, and I think that's going to hurt him. I don't think he's going to see more than 60% of the snaps on the field. Maybe if and that might even be a lot on the at the pro level. But anyway, we're moving on now. Guys, I want you to give me some players who maybe had a down year last year or who were injured who fans need to put on their radar this year. Pastel, why don't we start with you? Okay, yeah, so Paulson Adebo, and uh, we've talked about in uh, earlier segments when we previewed our top uh, cornerbacks and the 2021 draft, and so he's one of those guys that he had a phenomenal 2018 year, and this isn't only from a statistical standpoint, because, yeah, he did have four interceptions both in 2018 and in 2019, but you just look at kind of the way he just made plays in 2018, he didn't really do in 2019. So a lot of people started questioning a bunch of things. They started looking at that film, looking at 2019, thought, hmm, maybe he's just a little bit over-aggressive on some plays. Maybe he's not as athletic as we actually thought he was, even though he has long arms, he's got good length, I think he's got good enough speed, and he's you know he's fluid. He's got very good fluidity as far as like his his hips and his. When I look at a corner, we've all, we're always talking you know their back pedals. Yeah, how they can transition uh, from their back pedal and kind of cover a receiver in and out of their breaks. So I think that's what you saw very well in 2018. Kind of had a down 2019 year, not so much from a statistical standpoint. Uh, even though he did have t- uh, seven less pass breakups than he did in 2018, but. I would love to see him kind of make that name where he had in 2018 and kind of pick it back up and be that shutdown corner that he was supposed to be in 2019, but really establish it again in 2020. And if he can, he's a player where I can kind of, even though I think the cornerback position is, you know, not extremely deep, but they're deep this year. I think he can extend himself into that day one pick. A couple other guys, guys like Quentin Lake, he's a safety from UCLA. Uh, He's able to play that, that pure safety if he wants, like pure safety if he wants, you know, that, true free safety, or he can go down and play nickel as well. He's a good athlete with great agility, balance, body control. He's got incredible instincts. And when we say instincts, it's more you're always just at the right place at the right time. And it's because you're able to read the plays, whether that's pre-snap or 
in the middle of the play and just away, find a way with your angles and where you think the ball is going to be and you anticipate. And that's where he, he, he does a good job by getting there. Now, he was hurt last year, which is why his production was obviously down from his 2018. But in 2018, I mean, he had 67 tackles. He showed his ability to not only be a true uh, free safety, but kind of, you know, be a good run defender as well. And that's what I, would lo- I love seeing from him. And I think he's one of those guys I thought it was going to happen last year to really ascend himself, but he got hurt. So I, th- I just expect that to happen again in 2020. So if this is one guy you probably forgot about. You probably heard of him before because he did have a good freshman and junior or sophomore year. But look, look out for Quentin Lake, his redshirt junior year, because he did take that as a redshirt last year. He's mm-hmm. six foot one, 193. I think he's one of those guys, if he has a good year, why the heck would you stay at UCLA for another year? Like, get the heck out of there and go into the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last player that really had – well, he was injured last year, and that's Walker Little. And he's one of those guys that a lot a lot of scouts out there, they see him as a first-round player because he's got the size. He only had four quarterback hits in his first two years. on, on So he had 633 career pass block snaps, but only allowed four quarterback hits. So that just kind of tells you of the brick wall that he was. He's, he's athletic, but he does tend to get beat on, like, double moves quite a bit. So I, I will say, like, he has a little bit to clean up, and I thought he was going to clean that up last year. He got hurt opening game. So hopefully he's able to recover from that if he is. He's got the production. He's got the size. He's six foot seven, like 230 pounds, which I feel like that whole entire Stanford line is, by the way. But I think he's one of those guys that if he can be productive for his senior year, he absolutely will project himself or send himself into the first round if he can produce what the, the season he had his freshman and sophomore year. Guys, you know who I really like out of that pastel who you said is Paulson Adebo. I, I think if you go back to our – uh, top five cornerback prospects in the 2021 draft. I highlighted him. His 2018 film is unbelievable. It, it, you want to talk about textbook way to cover guys down the field. Uh, he's never out of phase. He's always in phase. He plays the ball great while it's in the air. I'm a big a Paulson Debo guy. I hope he has a big 2020 because what I saw in 2018 out of him at Stanford – to me, screamed first-round draft pick because of how good he was. I, I, I was disappointed by what he did last year, but, man, if he can find 2018 form pastel, I mean, this guy's a day-one corner. Shut down, franchise-changing corner that can be there for 10-plus years. I thought his film was that good. So I really hope he finds whatever was going on in 2018 because he was that good. Yeah, and it's so it's so, you know, with corners, corners are one of those four premium positions that, you know, if you find a franchise guy, you snag him regardless of what you have on your roster. You're talking, you know, quarterbacks, cornerbacks, left tackles and and rush and edge rushers and, you know, right tackles are starting to creep their way up there, but those are really the four main ones uh that you that, you know, franchises build around. And speaking of franchise players, Gless, who are some of the prospects in the Pac-12 that you can see being franchise players at the next level. What is up, Prospect 101 fans? Guess what? Sports are finally coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's absolutely no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action on this week's big UFC fight, or check out the odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and even the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has the future odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. 
Yeah, so I, I have three down here that I'd, I'd just like to mention. The first one, really, if anybody who's, you know, really kind of into the NFL draft scene, which obviously most of you guys are if you're listening to our podcast, but Penny Sewell. I mean, the highest-rated tackle uh, by pro football focus that they've ever had, and that was as a sophomore. And he shared the offensive line with all seniors or redshirt seniors, and it, it's been quoted by his offensive line coach that he was the best offensive lineman on that on that offensive line. Um, last year, guys, let me give you this. What percentage of snaps do you think he allowed a, a quarterback pressure? Uh, yeah, I'd say a, a percent and a half. Point zero one, right? Wow. 491 pass attempts, he allowed seven pressures. Unbelievable. Now, I watched his film against Auburn. I watched the whole game from front to back from the, the all-22 film that we have. And you want to talk – I mean, he's just the best guy in the field. I, I mean, the, there was no doubt about it. I mean, he just – he took SEC edge rushers and pretty much made them irrelevant the entire game. His athleticism, really, you can't match. He's equally as good with his pass sets and his pass protection – uh, that he is in the run game. He's super aggressive, and he gets out there. And But he has the athleticism on screen plays to get out there and block slot corners, safeties. He's really the whole package, and in my opinion, he's going to be a perennial pro bowler. And depending on who's the number one, who has the number one pick in 2021, he could be the number one overall draft pick. I really do believe that. So if you get a situation in the team like, you know, but Brent, I, I don't mean to pick on the, the Bengals here, but, like, say the Bengals are the number one overall, yeah, have the over number one overall draft pick. Well, they just they just drafted Joe Burrow. Um, Penny Sewell is definitely the, the no-brainer pick in that situation. I think when you get teams that have a franchise quarterback and because of injury or whatever, Penny Sewell is going to be the guy because, in my opinion, he's a can't-miss tackle prospect, probably the best tackle prospect to come out in the last 20 years. So keep an eye out for him. Any edge rusher in the Pac-12 that has to go up against him is going to know what they're up against. I mean, he's the best of the best. Another guy from Oregon, Kayvon Thibodeau. He's a true sophomore, so when we talk about a franchise player, he won't be eligible for another year. But he's the best edge rusher in the Pac-12. Incredible speed off the edge. An incredible athlete. He'll be a household name this year. There's no doubt about it. He was the second highest graded edge rusher in the Pac-12 last year. And he's going to guy that's going to make quarterbacks' lives miserable this year. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's that athletic. He's fearsome. Uh, he's probably got to improve against the run game and how he approaches that. But when you talk about a, a profile NFL franchise edge rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau is definitely it. So keep an eye out for him. And here's one, guys, that I wouldn't have put in here if I didn't watch his film this, this last week. And I watched him against Oregon, and I watched him against USC. And that's Levi on Warzicki. Out of, out of the University of Washington, the one technique. Guys, he is such a force against the run game. I mean, he is constantly taking guards and centers one to two yards in the backfield. He's, he's always disrupting the run game because he's able to get penetration. And he's quick and he's fast and he's able to rush the, rush the passer as well. I think he can be an all-pro defensive tackle at the NFL level for three or four years. There's no doubt about it. I think he could be a day-one pick with a really good 2020. And I think he is also one of the few dominant defensive linemen in the country. I think when you talk defensive linemen, there, there's a lot that goes around there. There's the uh, J1 Timon out of Pittsburgh, who I think is really good, but really a pass rush specialist. 
I think Levi can do it all. I think he can rush the passer. I think he disrupts the the run game. He reminds me a lot of Nadama Kinsu. Uh, I'd really keep an eye out for number 95 on the Washington defense as I think he could be a franchise player at the next level. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, I love Kayvon Thibodeau, man. I, and I think he's got an incredible opportunity to go up and practice every day against Penny Sewell and just become that much better. Like iron, stripe, iron sharpens iron, and that's what's going on in Oregon right now. You have the best offensive lineman we've seen probably in the past decade, decade and a half. And then you have a true freshman – or sorry, he's a true sophomore now, but a guy who came in as a true freshman and just absolutely dominated the Pac-12 as a rush as an edge rusher, you know, going up against each other every day in practice. So I, if you're Mario Cristobal, for one, you've got to be excited about that because both are – getting to face elite competition every day they step on the field. But I think for Kayvon Thibodeau, it, it, it helps him out more because he's so young and he gets to acclimate himself to that kind of that kind of talent every day. I, I think the sky's the limit for Thibodeau. I really do. He's probably going to be a top five. I mean, he's going to be a top five pick when he becomes draft eligible. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I've showed you guys some just some clips that I've seen, him against Auburn, him against UW, and it's just – what he's able to do from the left tackle position, you just don't see every day. And sh- shoot, you don't see every decade. I-, I really do think that high of him. And, again, I think yeah. you could be the, uh, the uh, number one overall draft pick depending on who's drafting he's number bigger. one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense with someone who's with a talent as rare and as you know, not often seen as we have. I mean, I don't think it's probably what the last guy we saw who's this good is probably Joe Thomas. Um, now, switching over to – you know, offensive trends in the NFL, and, you know, we, we've talked a lot and we've seen a lot about the NFL. Who, they're now kind of adopting some of these college schemes, these college principles, um, you know, and they're opening up their offenses with players like Hollywood Brown, players like Tariq Hill, players like Christian McCaffrey, who are explosive, game-changing type of players who kind of can do it all in offense. You know, we see them now really making a profound impact on the NFL level. So my question is, is, is who are some guys in the Pac-12 that can be categorized, categorized excuse me, as explosive players at the next level? So I'm going to categorize it, yeah, explosive. I think everyone thinks immediately 4-3 speed. I'm going to talk a little less 4-3 speed and more game-changing type of player, a guy that can really take over a game with his skill set, and there's not a lot of other players like these guys. And the first guy is probably going to surprise a lot of people, and the guy that's Bertan Kobe from Utah. He's a wide receiver and probably the best punt returner in the Pac-12. And if you remember him, if you go and look at his stats, you're probably thinking, oh, this is a typo, right? So in 2015, he was like a freshman. He's on the freshman All-American team as a punt returner. He he led Utah with 43 receptions and 519 yards and four TDs. And then the next time he played was 2018, his sophomore year. And you're like, well, what happened? Well, he's, uh, he went on a mission trip for his church, uh, his brother played at BYU, he's Mormon, and he decided to take that route knowing that he had NFL potential. So uh, that's what his passion was, and that's why I think when people look at a stat line, people wonder, like, what happened there? So in 2018, he came back from his mission trip and exploded back on the scene with 60 receptions, 637 yards, a, a TD that went 48 yards. I mean, but the, but the other thing with him, he also had 21 rushing attempts for almost 200 yards. And that's not even his best position. It's still punt return. This is one of, the, one of the most explosive punt returners in the Pac-12. And then in 2019, he tears his ACL. And so he's only five foot eight. He's only a buck 70. He's a smaller guy. 
I'm sure all the scouts are going to be like, hey, we need to see that you can do it again. He's going to be in the NFL. I think he's going to be a slot receiver, but he's going to be absolutely primary. Like someone's going to pick him up for that dual ability of being a dynamic punt returner, kick returner, but also has the ability to be a dynamic slot a slot uh, receiver. Now, before he got hurt, he ran a 4-4-40. He <laughs> recovered from his ACL injury, and he said he clocked himself the other day at a 4-4-1 speed. Like, he has not only not lost anything, but he is a, like a tenth of a second faster than what he was pre-ACL injury. So I think he's been one of those guys to keep an eye on. He plays for Utah. I think Utah's going to be a little bit, little bit down this year. But he's going to be a guy that I think you can definitely, at the next level, just kind of see him doing everything. Punt return, kick returns, being in that slot corner, getting 50, 60 catches a year. It's going to be extremely fun to watch. Another guy from uh, USC, Amon Ross St. Brown. The thing with him, and I'm not going to say he's overly overly fast, even though he is fast. He's got a great change of direction. He's really quick. He's like a, a running back after he catches the ball. He is someone – it's going to be a lofty comparison, but he reminds me a lot of Larry Fitzgerald because of the way he mm. can track – the way he can track a football is unbelievable. And that's game-changing in itself when all you throw up these ridiculous passes and he has a way to contort his body and make catches that he's not mossing people, but he's making catches that just guys you don't see in college football. So he's Larry Fitzgerald-esque, but he's not Larry Fitzgerald. That's why I kind of see him being a, an early day two pick. I don't think he's a day one pick, but I think he is very explosive. And he's going to do things in the NFL level. He's going to make catches at times. You're going to be like, oh, wow, this guy has a lot of potential. And he does have a lot of potential. So that's why I think under Graham Harrell and with Keaton Slovis, who we all think is probably the third or fourth best quarterback in the college football game in 2020, he might send himself into the first round because of that, that type of offense they run. And he's probably they're going to be the go-to receiver next year. So he's probably something that you need to look at. The last guy I'm going to talk about is Frank Darby. The wide receiver from Arizona State, he's 6'1", 200 pounds. He's a home run threat. I mean, that's just what he is. He was, the, he was 11th nationally last year with a 19.9 average uh, yards per catch. Uh, he tracks the ball very well. He's kind of just like – I mean, he's kind of St. Brown-esque in the sense of he tracks the ball very well as, as well. But that's all he does for the most part. He does a lot of go routes, a lot of deep posts or post corners. Um, so he's kind of a one-trick pony from that uh, stint. But he's very, very – I mean, he's a very good home th- home run threat. Like, he is – that guy, if you go back and watch these games. And so in a four-game stretch, he had seven of his eight TDs last year and was averaging 97 yards per game. So that in a four-game stretch, you saw a snapshot of someone that just completely took over games on just, like, plays of 30, 40 yards down the field. It was unbelievable to watch. And I say all that saying his first two years, he had a better yards per, ca- uh, per catch with 20 and- – 20.0 in eight, 2018 and 26 in 2017. So this guy's just known as that. I think with Zach Hill coming over to Arizona State, you're going to see him moving around the field a little bit more because at Boise State, you saw a lot more motions, a lot more pre-snap reads, and that's going to involve the wide receivers. If you have a typical X or a Y receiver, they're going to have to start moving around a little bit more, and I think that's going to help Frank Darby actually kind of prove to the scouts that he is more of a one-trick pony and that he can be utilized across the field, run a few more different routes than what we've seen so far on his game tape. And he's also going to be asked to do a lot more because Arizona State's had two first-round players. Or, or first, I was a first-round player last year, wasn't he? He's either the first or second-round player. No, um, they had, I think they had two receivers go day two, right? Second, uh, third round? I think they did. Well, right, and then they also had the first-round uh, player that went to the Patriots two years ago. So, oh, correct. So they've lost a lot of receivers, and he's been able to kind of hide and only have to do that one, one route, uh, go route the last couple of years. But now he's going to be asked to do a lot more because they did lose a lot of 
of a lot of that talent last year, and to include Eno Benjamin. So he's going to be their go-to guy that Daniels is going to be throwing the ball to. So it's going to be fun to see. He's very dynamic in that sense. He's explosive in the, the home run threat ability that he has. So Yeah, I, I, Pastel, I, I do have a question for you. When you talk about Brendan Covey at Utah, who do you like better? Do you like Brendan Covey or Tutu Atwell? Because I feel like they're similar players. Oh, Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell okay. has been an established uh, wide receiver. And I have way less questions about him because you know, they, they have similar height. I think Tutu Atwell is more explosive, is more faster. Kobe's even thrown two passes for touchdowns. He's got the rushing. He's just so dynamic in the sense that he does everything. Uh, Tutu Atwell, I think he's going to be a lot more just a wide receiver, in my opinion, at the NFL level, where I think Kobe maybe not as explosive, but does a lot more in other a- aspects of the game. Gotcha. Okay, I just kind of wanted to establish a baseline there to see kind of where Britton Covey was on the scale of, like, day one, day two, day Oh, no, no, no. Co- no. So let me let me re- say that one more time. Kobe's probably, like, a fifth-round pick. Mm-hmm. Where Tutu Atwell, he's probably, like, a third or fourth-round pick. Like, Atwell's a better player. Well, talking about day one, day two, day three guys, and, and you know, putting them in certain – giving them certain ratings and, and grades and everything. Madden ratings came out this week. And if, if NCAA football still a little thing in terms of video games, and it's not, which makes me incredibly, incredibly sad. And it's pretty much the reason why I don't play video games anymore because that's about the only game I played that in Tiger Woods Golf. There, you know, there seems to be a common thread there. The two games I played the most don't even exist anymore. So that's rough. But if NCAA football was still a thing, what ratings would you guys give the following lesson passed down? I'll go down the list and read them to you, and I want you guys to give me a rating. My favorite player in the Pac-12, uh, like we mentioned earlier, Javon Holland, safety out of Oregon. Pastel, what's your rating? Uh, I'm going to go 88 because he is a good slot coverage guy, but outside of that, I think he has a few more holes in his games than I like. I'm going to go 85. Nice player, um, but I don't think he's an overall quote-unquote game changer. I'm going to go 85. Okay. How about Penne Sewell, offensive tackle out of Oregon? Gless. I'm going to go in 98. He's the best tackle that I've ever seen at the college level. Uh, hard for me to give a 100 or a 99, but I'm going to go in 98. So I'm going to go with 99 because he is the best tackle that we've ever seen. If you're the best at that given time, then you get the 99. Okay. Moving on to Max Borgie, running back, Washington State, Pastel. So I like him from a college aspect. Like, does he absolutely translate into the NFL game? He does. He's not going to be a first or second round pick, but I would give him a 92. Because his ability to not only be a running back, but I can make a case that he's probably one of the best slot corners in the Pac-12 as well. So, like, if I was doing his attributes on NCAA football, like, his catch is probably a, like, a a 90 in itself, and his running is probably, like, a 90 in itself. So, like, he's such a dynamic player from a pass-catching and running ability that I think in college football, he's a 92. Now, in the NFL, I don't think he translates as well, even though I think he's still going to be a good player. Yeah, I'm going to go 84 here, running back in the run and shoot. I just can't see it. I, I just can't see the impact being there, nor do I see him making that much of an impact on a day-by-day basis. Like, if I went against Washington State, and if I knew a guy was above 90 and he was a running back in the run and shoot, like, I, those guys just don't exist very much. So I'm going to go 84. Okay. Moving to wide receiver, Frank Darby. Bless. 
Uh, I'm going to go 91. He, I think he's the best receiver in the Pac-12. So I'm going to. He's a home run threat. To let, just like Pastel said, I think he's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with on a week by week basis. But he's going to catch his touchdowns. He's going to get his go routes. He's going to get his post routes. He's going to get his touchdowns. So I'm going to go 91. Okay, uh, and I agree with you, Gus. I, I, I go 87 because I think he still has a lot to prove to me. Like I said, he did phenomenal in a four game stretch, but I would like to see that over 12 games. So because of the inconsistencies throughout the whole year, I'm going to limit him a little bit on that and give him the 87. 87. Okay. And then the moving back to defense, Drake, Jake, sorry, excuse me. I can't talk today. Drake Jackson, defensive lineman at a USC, who's a true sophomore. And he's the first true freshman to start on defensive line in the season opener since Everson Griffin. And that's been over a decade for USC. What do you guys have him ranked? Pastel, why don't you kick it? I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he's, first of all, he's a big dude. He's like six foot four, like 290. I don't know how he translates yet in the NFL, but for a true sophomore, he's one of the best defensive linemen in the Pac-12. So I would give him a 90 right now because I think he had five and a half sacks last year. Like he still has a lot to prove, but man, you got to love this guy's potential. Yeah, I'm going to go 91. I think think when it comes to uh, premier pass rushers in the Pac-12, there's not – you know, there's not a boatload of them like you would get in the SEC. So I think he's one of the better defensive linemen. Uh, and I think he's a guy that offensive coordinators are going to have to scheme around starting this year, even though he had a fantastic freshman year. So I'm going to go 91. All right. Well, there you have it. If there was an NCAA football game, Gless and Pastel would be in charge of the rankings. And we know now that they're actually dedicated Madden EA employees who work on Madden who literally – they spend time at practice, they spend time at training camps and adjust ratings as need be and consult with coaches and players. So maybe if the game comes back, Pastel and Gless could apply for those positions. That's right. Prospects 101 being a consultant. I like a consultant gig, right? (laughs) That's the greatest job ever. (laughs) It might be. It's amazing. It's amazing. So speaking of of going in practice and seeing who's got what on the team, Gless – in this conference, do you see any three-down running backs? You, you, you know, when I was just kind of looking through and looking through the depth charts, looking at film and, you know, looking at the scouts and what they saw, I think the Pac-12 is extremely light when it comes to the running back position. There's really not a whole lot to like as far as returning running back talent. I think C.J. Verdell and Alex uh, Fontenot out of, Cal- out of Colorado, I think they're nice players. Uh, I don't see them as three-down running backs. Now, the the only guy that I think could potentially be a three-down running back in the pack in, in, in the NFL, I, I think a guy named Stephen Carr out of USC is a former five-star recruit, but he needs to take that next step. He's had three mediocre seasons at USC, kind of been a part of that running back stable. Physically, he's got it. He just hasn't been able to put it together yet. But the talent is there. His size is there. I think he's six foot, about 215. He's the guy that could do it. He, he can run. Uh, he can catch passes out of the backfield. But he's got to put it together. So I think if there's a guy that could do it, I think it could be Stephen Carr. Other than that, I, again, I think Verdell will end up getting drafted. He'll be a, a nice player in the NFL, but I don't see him as a three-down running back. Yeah, I think one of the yeah. guy, maybe not three downs, I agree with you, plus there really not, isn't too many three downs. But I do, I mentioned in the last segment, Jamar Jefferson, I think he is a under-the-radar running back in the Pac-12. Okay. He just hasn't had the production to, we've seen, catch the ball out of the backfield. 
So that's I the one that. question mark I got left on him and that breakaway speed. So that's the, probably the one guy I still have a little bit of a hope that there, he might be. I, I would agree with that. He's, yeah. he's a really nice player. I'd like to see him, again, be able to catch some more passes out of the backfield and see what he can really do. Um, yeah. Kind of open it up and just not be a, a first, second down running back and, you know, get three yards in a cloud of dust. I mean, yards are a premium in that offense. So. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there's definitely there's definitely not any of those traditional three down backs right now in the Pac-12. I agree with you. I just off the top of my head, I think you're right, Pastel. I think Jamar is pretty much the closest to it. You know, and Jamar is probably I you know with him being a three down back, I don't think he's gonna be a first round or a second round guy. I just don't think athletically he's there. I think he's one of those guys who's gonna be a high production player in college football, but then you turn around and you see he's probably drafted in the fourth or fifth round. So talking about some of those day three players, is there anybody you can see that's day three right now that you think Pastel can work their can work their way to a day one or day two pick? Absolutely. And I think Marvin Lewis is gonna make this guy a day two pick. Where prior to this this year, he, he's probably solidified himself so far as a day three pick, and that's Merlin Robertson, the linebacker from Arizona State. He's six foot three, two hundred and fifty pounds. And if you remember him, he had a phenomenal freshman year. He was a, he was named Pac-12 Defensive Freshman of the Year. Like when he was when he played, he had uh, he's got seven total sacks over the first two years, respectively. He has 77 and 74 uh, total tackles per his freshman and sophomore year. He's one of those guys that exploded on the scene as a freshman, and then kind of never developed more of his game his sophomore year. So like he just kind of maintained what he did his freshman year, where I think that kind of brings some hesitation to some people on like what he didn't do in the off season to really develop his game. Because, I mean, again, you're an 18-year-old kid. You would think some of your biggest development would be from 18 to 19 or 19 to 20. So I think Marvin Lewis being the co-defensive coordinator there in Arizona State and him being really a linebacker's coach is probably, like, his number one thing that he does best. I think he is just licking his chops to make the next Ray Lewis, make the next Fontes Berthick, speaking of the devil who came from Arizona State, right? And I think he has the ability to ascend Merlin Robertson into a day-two pick because – he did. I mean, you watched his freshman game tape, you're like, this guy's in the, the next real deal coming from Arizona State. Another guy, we've highlighted him on multiple segments. It's kind of funny, but Mustafa Johnson, I think he has round two, round three potential. I think him being kind of a tweener doesn't help. Uh, he's only yeah. – he's six he's foot bad. two, and then, like, he played a lot of defensive end. I don't see too many defensive ends, six two. What is he, like, 285, 290? Like, I just don't see that too much. So, I see him as a three technique in the NFL, but I think that's going to hurt his stock a little bit especially coming from the University of Colorado. But he's been a very productive player for them. And so I think he just needs another year of that production, and that, that alone might ascend himself into a, a round three pick. Abraham Lucas, if you remember this guy, this is the guy that Mike Leach said after his freshman year that he's one of the best tackles in the Pac-12. And that was his freshman year campaign. He's a great pass protector. I think he needs to get a little bit better in the run game. But overall, you got to love his game. you got to love his size. He's another six foot seven. Offensive lineman, which I feel like now the Pac-12 just breeds this huge lineman. I think he has that ability just because of his his ability to pass block, his his size. I think he has the potential. He just you know, and the offenses that he plays in, I think he uh, he needs to show that he can be a little bit better of a run uh, run blocker. And then my last, and sorry, Abraham Lucas. I, I think I said Stanford, but he's from uh, Washington State. And then the last guy is Chase Garbers, the quarterback from California. He's another guy. We we're looking for that third, fourth-best quarterback in the Pac-12 after Slovis and, and Daniels, and I think Garbers has that best chance. He's very efficient with the ball. 
He's a winner. He's got decent size. He's like six foot two. So he's good enough size to play in the NFL. He just has to stay healthy and just continue to develop his game. And I think if he's able to do that, he's going into his junior year. But I think if he's able to do that, he's one of those guys that I think a lot of people have a, five, a fifth or a sixth round grade. But if he can really just develop that game and stay healthy, again, they have a seven and zero when he played for more than a half last year. So if he can prove that he can win eight, nine, ten games with with California, then I think you start talking about a, a third round play, uh, grade for a quarterback like this that all he does is win. So um, these are some guys I want to have have an eye on, and I I wouldn't be shocked if we hear their name called day two. Yeah, Gless, I, li- I like what you said about Merlin Robertson and, and what Marvin Lewis is going to be able to do for him. I think if you're a defensive player on Arizona State right now, you've got to be so jacked up at who your defensive coordinator is. And not only that, I mean, they're turning that into a pro program down there. I mean, Antonio Pierce yep. is on staff down there. He's a linebacker's coach. Gless, I'm, I know you remember him being a D.C. guy. Um, it's just if you're defensive – player down there you're you're in the right spot at the right time and I do agree with you pastor I think Merlin Robinson is poised to take a big jump and I really like Chase Garbers as well if he can just stay healthy that's the biggest thing he's got all the tools which is crazy because his younger brother is actually everybody thinks he's going to be the biggest you know prospect out of that family I believe unless he's going to Washington but yeah Chase is Chase is definitely got an arrow pointed up provided he can stay healthy that's the biggest thing Yep. Now, Gless, we've mentioned a bunch of players today. Which players have we not mentioned that make that you want the fan base to make sure we touch on? Yeah, I think there's there's five uh, in that I have here. The first one would be Keaton Slovis. I know you guys have like a man crush on Keaton Slovis. I, I think he's the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Uh, definitely a guy to keep an eye on. I think he's one that you have to game plan around, and there's really not a whole lot. Lot, lot of quarterbacks that you can possibly say say that about. I think he's going to have a big year at USC. I think he shows everything, poise, confidence, arm strength, game playability, and when the crunch time comes down to it, he makes plays. So I really like Keaton Slovis. I know you guys uh, do as well. Another USC guy, uh, uh, Jay Tafili, a defensive tackle. He's high on a lot of people's boards. You know, I watch his film. I, I, I like it. I don't love him. You know, I, I think he's got some work to do as far as being a dominant player. But I, I think that he's a guy that, again, offensive coordinators are going to have to scheme about just because he is so effective as a as a three-technique defensive tackle. Uh, uh, Brant uh, Keithy, the tight end out of Utah, may be one of the best tight ends in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about a guy who can go and make plays in the pass game. His yak was ridiculous last year, had eight, uh, eight yards uh, after contact. So is a guy that's really tough to break down. Um, again, he's going to give defensive coordinators nightmares and really from the Utah offense position, really be a, one of their few X factors. I mean, they lost a lot last year. They lost quarterback. They lost Moss at running back. So they're really going to have to kind of find some offensive production. And I think Brant can really provide that. Um, Joe Tryon, uh, defensive end, outside linebacker from Washington. I think another guy to keep an eye on, he's also high on a lot of people's boards because he is a hybrid guy. He's a guy that can rush the passer, and I think he's a, a good pass rusher. I don't think he's a great pass rusher, but certainly a guy that can also drop back into coverage, tackle guys in space. He understands pass defenses, zone coverage, man coverage. So another guy that you should keep an eye on. And then last I have Trent McDuffie. Uh, Fred, he was a freshman last year at Washington, uh, had a lot of playing time, uh, a true press corner 
shut down uh, outside corner. He doesn't play the slot like uh, Molden does, but a guy you should definitely keep an eye on. That you know, if, if you know, I don't, I don't believe the Huskies play the Sun Devils this year, but if he did, I'm sure he'd be on Frank Darby all year. So those are five guys that I think you guys should keep an eye on, especially for you Pac-12 fans. You know, going going up against Utah, going up against USC, going to get going up against Washington. Those are all guys that really should jump off the page and instantly know that, dude, those guys can play. And those guys will eventually be pretty high draft picks when their time comes, whether that be the 2021, 2022, or even in Trent McDuffie's situation, the 2023 draft. I mean, Keaton Slovis is the best quarterback in the Pac-12. I don't even think it's I don't even think it's close, to be honest. And he's a true sophomore. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was fourth string heading into spring last year and I mean, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Gless. Keaton Slovis is by far the best quarterback in the Pac-12, and he's a top-ten quarterback in the entire nation. So definitely keep an eye on him. And, Pastel, I know your your boy is the uh, tight end out of Utah, correct? Yeah, no, I think he's a stud. I mean, he's just a little bit on the shorter end. But outside of that, he's I mean, he's a very, very productive player, so I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, I mean, I, I think he's – I think he is absolutely a day-two pick. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I like his upside. So let's get to some rapid-fire questions. And rapid-fire questions are no explanation needed. It's just we're going to ask the question, and you guys just roll on. So here we go. Starting with question number one. How many Pac-12 picks will be selected in the first round next year? Mm, I think if you got Seoul, Highland, and Hamilcar, I think that's uh, three. I'll go three. I'm going to go two. I'm going to go Seoul and then on, uh, on Wazerki. The uh, three, uh, the one technique out of Washington. I think he'll be a first round. I really do. Cool. Does CJ Verdell rush for a career high more than twelve hundred twenty yards this season? Yeah. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I think he. I think he will be. I think he'll carry the the Oregon offense as they break in a new running back or break in a new quarterback. I'm gonna go no. Uh, even though I think he does break Jonathan Stewart's all time record there at Oregon, but. I think that's too much of a running back stable there. I think he's going to take, you know, 65% of the carries, but there's a lot of good running backs there and also four new offensive linemen. I'm not trying to say that's a mm. – I'm not going to overstate it, but that, there's point. four new offensive linemen. I think they're going to stack the box on Oregon, and so that quarterback can prove that he, they have to respect him, I guess. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, that's a good point, Paso. Uh Last one, best athlete in the Pac-12. Gless? Uh, I'm going to go Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he's the best overall athlete. He just happens to be on the defensive side of the ball and a pass rusher. Yeah, I mean, he's a stud. I can't argue that. But I'm going to go Max Borgie <laughs> for his ability to catch the ball and run the ball. All right. And that was our rapid-fire questions. Arguably, it was a lot better this week than they were last week. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, we still gave explanations. Last week, we had, to, we had to give it a – yeah. So it's a hard habit to break, but – uh, I think we did a good job this week. So there you go. Those are our rapid fires. Now, as with every show we do, we do a prospect to watch. And a prospect to watch is someone we choose irregardless of position, irregardless of school, or whatever topic we might be covering on that day on this show. So it's someone we want, we think could be an interesting prospect for the, for the 2021 draft. And it's someone who might fly just a little bit under the radar. So Pastel, why don't, you, why don't you tell us who you picked as your prospect to watch this week? Yeah, so I'm going to give this guy some love because I don't think he gets any love, actually. And that's Journey Brown, the, the running back from Penn State. And you're probably thinking, Penn State, there's so many running backs at Penn State that have come and gotten drafted in the first, second, or third round, and 
they get all the love. Well, you know what? This guy was sandwiched between all these guys. Like he was, he was just after Saquon Barkley. He was after Miles Sanders. Ricky Slade was a highly touted uh, running back. And then the, the two freshmen last year that were, you know, both like top 100 players was Devin Ford and Noah Kane. And who was Journey Brown? He was like the last ranked recruit in their 2017 or 2018 class. And all he's done is work to get more and more carries. So in 2018, only had eight carries, 44 yards. 2019, with I don't think everyone thought he was actually going to be the full-time starter for the whole entire year. All he did was rush for almost 900 yards and have close to 135 yards receiving. And if you if you watched that Memphis game last year, oh my God, he rushed for a school or sorry, yeah, school bowl record for over 200 yards, breaking Saquon Barkley's record of 194 yards when he rushed for that in the Rose Bowl against USC back in 2017. And that was the game that they had both those freshmen playing, mind you, Devin mm-hmm. Ford and Noah Kane. Who we and trust me, I think those guys will be NFL talents as well. And that's where the only thing I think is going to hurt Journey Brown is these guys are going to come into their sophomore year, and it's going to be kind of like what I just said at Oregon. Like you're going to get somewhat of a, a split carry amongst the three running backs. But Journey Brown, again, he has worked for those carries. He has worked for it, and all he's done has been extremely dynamic. And he is he they timed it at Penn State. He ran a four two nine forty, which was faster than Barkley's four three three. So this wow. guy's extremely explosive. He's got the size at 5'11", 215 pounds. He runs extremely hard. He's one of those guys that you just kind of like, he's slippery. He's like Alvin Kamara. Like you have guys that you see, like they wrap him up and then he's gone. Like why are not guys not bringing him down? And it's not because he's overly big. He's just, he finds a way to, you know, either spin off of a tackle or just kind of keep his knees up and just kind of brace those tackles. So I think he's he doesn't get enough love. I can see him being – uh, absolutely drafted next year if he wants to come out, which I think he should with those guys coming behind him. But he absolutely has the skill set to be a day two pick, and no one ever talks about this kid because I don't think everyone thinks he's actually going to be the starting running back when all he does is prove that he is going to be the starting running back. So I give you some love, Journey Brown, out there. Go out there and prove me right this year. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really cool to see how he's worked his way up from where he was recruited to where he's gone and. You know, you got to remember Ricky Slade, I think, was, what, the number one recruit in the entire country that year. Uh, Transferred to ODU, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Gloss and I were talking about that a couple of days ago offline. Yeah. We were like, Which makes all the sense here. in the world because the offensive coordinator at Penn State is now the head coach at ODU. So yeah. probably just put in his pocket and say, hey, man, you want some playing time? Every, you know, every down back, come to ODU, which, yeah. I mean, shoot, man, ODU, ODU needs all the playmakers they can get. So. <laughs> Well, and it's it's crazy that how, how stacked Penn State is at the running back position this year. I mean, like you talked about Devin Ford and Noah Kane, but yeah, you're right, man. Journey Brown is definitely one of the most underrated players in the country and one of the most underappreciated. I mean, you don't average you're averaging seven yards a carry, you know, in the Big Ten, you're doing something right. So, and that's what he did last year. So, really excited to see him progress and see if he can take the next step up obviously his statistics are probably going to be a little bit limited compared to what most guys in the country are going to be just because of the deep the deep running back class there at Penn State but still Journey Brown definitely a guy to keep an eye on super super explosive and and is really going to probably be the backbone of Penn State's run to the playoffs if they make it because Sean Clifford's decent but the they definitely want to establish the run you know I think that's what James Franklin's going to want to do with Sean Clifford at quarterback. So 
Well, that wraps up today's show, guys. You know, you can follow and interact with us with the show on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Prospects101Pod. We're always posting throughout the week. We're always dropping new content like Pastel brought up earlier. We're going to be posting uh, polls and stuff to see who you think won the opening flip and maybe other polls we might have during the show. You can listen to us on all your favorite podcast platforms, wherever you listen to your podcast. We're on there. Subscribe and stay up to date with all of our episodes. Lots of great interviews coming up, more great content, more previews, more prospect previews, more conference previews. We got it all coming. Make sure you give us a five-star review. We really appreciate that. We really appreciate you spreading the word. It helps what we do as a show. And the more fans we can get in front of, the more we can talk college football, which all of us love to do. So for Brandon Glessner, for Brandon Pastel, I'm Kenny Keller. Have a great night.